Hey, first, I, I just want to thank you guys for uh, praying for me and uh, the leaders when we went out to Uganda last week and, um, and praying for the pastors individually. I mean, honestly, you could just tell people were praying. You could, you could totally just see it um, at that pastors' conference as some of those pastors, because we hit some pretty serious issues, and uh, to see the repentance and just the change in the leadership uh, was amazing. In fact, we had we had like a thousand pastors that showed up without registering. You know, they showed up last minute and uh, ended up being like 2,600 pastors from all these different places. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And they came from all the all the different uh, countries in in Africa. And um, we we had to confront some things. You know, like the prosperity gospel that's out there. You know, they see a lot of TBN type of stuff, and uh, you know. Preachers promising riches, you know, if you give to them. And so these, you know, you see a lot of people in Africa now giving to these guys, um, expecting to get a car, expecting to get a home, expecting to get rich, because that's what they say the Scriptures promise. And we're able to go through with the pastors, you know, what the Scriptures really do teach. But look, following Christ is difficult. He doesn't promise us to be kings and riches and all this other stuff. Look at the life of Christ. Look at the life of the apostles. And, and just, you know, getting them back focused on, okay, how did we start this thing don't copy the American church. It started with, with prayer, with humility, with fasting, with the Word of God. Stay there. And you saw just a real change and a real revival take place that I, I really believe was an absolute result of prayer. So I thank you guys for that. And, and also at, at the universities, that was, that was even, maybe even more amazing. I mean, every night I went to a different uh, university and just got to you know, do these rallies and brought a band and just led them in worship and everything else. And... Um, there were some pretty crazy situations. I mean, there were thousands of students every night. And, uh, you know, one of the universities was an Islamic university. So that was a little tense, you know. And, um, you know, and then uh, we, you know, another night, you know, was just pouring down rain, thinking, oh, man, no one's going to be there. Probably 3,000 kids out there at college students just worshiping in the rain. They could care less, just singing, jumping up and down, singing to the Lord. And I'm holding the microphone going, this can't be good, you know, just... <laughs> Just waiting to get fried, you know. But uh, um, again, you know, just just a powerful time. The last night at, at this one university, there were probably eight to ten thousand university students that showed up, um, and just we, we just saw the Lord do great things every single night. People coming to the Lord, uh, people confessing their sins, cleansing themselves. It was uh, it was it was beautiful. Um, one experience I had that I, I wanted to share with you guys because because you're a big part of it, is I went to this place called Bethany Village. It was the place that I, I went to the first time I went to Africa. And I remember I told you, I, you know, cruised around these little mopeds and, you know, ended up in this little mud hut and, you know, and there's chickens and, you know, just, just kids running around everywhere and just the destitution there. Um, and there was nothing for them. And then came back and told you guys about it. We raised some money, you know, started building orphanages out there, started building a school out there, got teachers and got all sorts of things in place. Well, I got to go back and see that this time. And, and it was just amazing. You know, I, I, I go into this classroom with all these kids just, you know, doing their lesson or whatever else, and the teacher stops the meeting and, and says, you know, introduces me. And, uh, you know, this school, there's about 500 kids there. And she explained to them, you got to understand that, that all of you are sponsored by people from Cornerstone Church. You know, that, that this whole little village area, all you kids are sponsored by someone there in the States, and he's the pastor of this church. And these kids just erupt in applause and, you know, just screaming, clapping. And then they all sing this song to me, and it's just like, oh, 
I, I tell you, it's just one of the, the, those high moments in life where you just go, how do you beat this? What greater feeling is there than to see a bunch of kids that, that had no food, no clothes, no education, really no hope, and then to walk into a room and see them singing and applauding and, and thanking you for, for what you've brought to them? I tell you, there's, I don't know how you beat that. I, I can't describe it. I wish every one of you was there with me looking into their faces and their appreciation because you'd see, okay, this really is the greatest joy you can have in, on this earth is, is to really help other people and to, to love the orphans and the widows. Uh, there's just nothing like that. And I, I share that because, you know, I didn't do anything. That, that was you guys that, uh, that, that gave of your, your time, your efforts, and, and your finances to support this and to make this happen. And, and you, you probably won't see it here on this earth, but you'll see it one day, you know, the results of all of this. And it's, it's an absolute rush, you know, to see these kids thanking you. Just... You just lose it. Um, probably the thing that had the greatest impact on me, though, was uh, on one of the days I, I got to take a little plane and fly up to this town called Lira. Lira is uh, in northern Uganda, and if you know the situation in northern Uganda, it's pretty pretty awful. Um, you know what's going on in Sudan, which is north of Uganda. There's a there's a rebel there. I've talked about him before, named Kony. And what Kony has done is that he has uh, taken children and trained them to be soldiers, to just go and kill. And what they do is then they'll go in the villages and he'll take this group of soldiers and they'll slaughter all the adults and take the kids with them, you know, ages around 5 to 12, take them into the jungle, slaughter a couple of them in front of their friends and say, look, this will happen to you unless you do what I say. And so then they take that crowd and then they all go into another village and pillage it and kill all the adults, grab the kids. And this army just keeps growing that way to where now they're at about 20,000 of them that uh, go from village to village. And so now everyone's fleeing for their lives. They estimate in Sudan about 2 million people being displaced. And uh, many of them have fled to northern Uganda, to these cities, primarily these three cities of uh, Lira, where I went, and then Sarodi, and then uh, Ngulu. And uh, they, they, they flee to these areas, but what happens is they get there, and now, you know, like I went to Lira, just in this little village, and there are about 100,000 of these refugees in this village that really has no resources. And so they're just piled together in these camps where there's no shelter, there's no food, there's no clothes. You know, so they've escaped all this terror to get here to where now there's no uh, a fear of persecution because the government stepped in, but, but they've got nothing. And I tell you, it was just awful. I, I landed, went to one of these camps where there were about 9,000 of them, and I, within five minutes I was just crying like a baby. I just, I could not handle what I saw. I, I stayed at that camp maybe 10, 15 minutes and I just had to get out of there um, and went to another one. Same thing. I just, I, I just couldn't handle it. It's, it's, it's awful. I mean, I've seen poverty before, but not in, in such a mass quantity and not with this look of hopelessness that they had. And, and, and I just uh, randomly would, would ask the translator, I go, can I just talk to one of them? and ask what their story is. And just, you know, this lady here, what's her story? Ask her to tell me her story. And she just says, well, you know, her story, she had three kids. She goes, well, I watched the rebels came in. They, they killed my husband and two of my kids, and I fled with the other three and ran into the bushes and, you know, was able to hide there, and we just kept fleeing, 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 so here we are. Okay. 
Ask her, what's her story? You know, 20-year-old girl, you know, what, what, what's her story? Well, well, you know, I saw my, par- my parents are dead, and then, you know, I fled, and I, I, you know, was in a hut with six other girls. Well, there were six girls in this hut, and the rebels came to that town, and they just lit the whole hut on fire. And, uh, you know, four of my friends burned to death. Me and another one ran away, but the other one, she got caught, and they killed her. And I just kept running and ran in the jungles. And then, you know, I found this baby on the ground, you know, that was still alive, so I picked it up and just ran with it. So here I am with this baby. Don't know whose it is or anything, but here I am. It's like, okay. Just person after person. Every, every story is like that. Every single story is just an absolute horror story. And you've got 100,000 people in front of you just going, okay, now we're here. We're glad we're here because we're safe. But look at what we're living in. We're just in the dirt. No clothes, no food. Just trying to find anything to eat. And it's just overwhelming. It's, it's just absolutely awful. And, and so the other half of our team, they were going to go to another town the next day. They were going to fly up to Sarodi. And so I warned them ahead of time. I go, you guys, this is like nothing we've seen. This is like nothing I've ever seen. Just prepare yourself. It's awful. It's just absolutely awful. So they fly up to Sarodi and they come back that afternoon and they go, friends, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they go, it was pretty cool. I'm like, What? They go, you know, the, the kids, they were fed, they were clothed, they had water, you know, it, it just seemed like they got a system down. I'm like, and I was kind of disappointed, like, well, you guys didn't get to see what I saw, because that was life-changing. And then they explained, but you, don't you understand, Sarodi is the town that uh, we as a church that I brought back to you guys last time. And remember I said, you know, let's take an offering, and just everything we, we have will go there, and we, we raised like $200,000 you know, and started a feeding program through Children's Hunger Fund, and they've been able to train and, and get this whole system in place. And so things are actually in order over there and going well because of Children's Hunger Fund and some other relief agents that have jumped up, but also because of your, your, your contributions. You know, it was kind of cool. You know, in hindsight, I go, oh, okay, so actually I wanted that place to be good, you know, because it shows that, I mean, you know, obviously I want everything to be good, but, but it, it just showed the, the difference between when we really gave and loved and served in another area that hasn't got the, the supplies yet um, and that doesn't have the same support that we're just now starting to, to help. But, you know, I, I remember getting on that plane and flying out of there and just thinking, okay, according to the Word of God, Jesus says in Matthew 25, look, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And, and, and he explains that whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing for me. And whatever you don't do for them, you haven't done for me. And so my mind's just ready to explode because you see all this poverty and you're just absolutely depressed. And then you put on top of it that that's Jesus over there in Lyra right now. And then I'm flying and I'm leaving him out there in the dirt and going, okay, I can't live this way. And so my mind is just, I mean, honestly, just ready to explode, going, what do I do, God? With everything I saw, I'm accountable for that. I love those people. I, I still, you know, I go to bed now with pictures of them in my mind, just the way they looked at me, like, is there anything you can do? And, uh, and, and so my heart is, I, I can't leave, and yet I go, well, if I stay there, what am I going to do, you know? It's not like I can get a job out there and raise all this money and feed them all. It's like, no, you know, the most effective thing I can do is come back and speak up for those people who can't speak for themselves and somehow, you know, mobilize an army of us and say, you know what, 
we, we, we've made a dent. We really have, you know, in, in, in Bethany Village up in Sarodi. And I'm just saying, you know, there's, there's more to go. And I'm just saying there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing it. And I, my only regret is I, I can't take you with me, you know, every time and say, gosh, look, see, do you get it? Because, I, you know, there's nothing like this in life. I just go, why do I even exist right now? Why on earth is, is Francis Chan still alive and on this planet? And I just, I have to believe it's for these people. And to say, you know what, there's nothing that I do on this earth that's more important than that than caring for these people, giving them hope, giving them a hope of eternity, as well as, as, as mobilizing us to take care of their physical needs. Um, I, I just absolutely live for this. I mean, this is at the core of who we are, right? Jesus says, if, if you see your brother, you know, in need, hungry, and you have no pity on him, how can the love of Christ be in you? How can you know that's going on and feel nothing for them and then say, oh, but I've got the love of Christ inside of me? He says, it's just, it's just not true. How can you love your neighbor as yourself? If your neighbor's over there, we're just going to you know, indulge ourselves. It just it, it makes no sense. And, and honestly, when I came back, I really struggled with, uh, you know, even as I look at the sermon, you know, series that I'm doing right now on membership, and, and this is the week I was slated to talk about purity. At first I looked and I go, I don't want to talk about purity. You know, I, I just want to come back. I want to come in this room and say, come on, empty your wallets. Give me everything you got. You know, we're going to go. We're going to, we're going to change this place. We got to feed them. We got to do that. And we are going to do that. We're going to have a time for that. You know, and I, but I want to do that right now. You know, I want to just go, okay, forget the purity thing. You know, just, just give me your money. You know, just, uh, I, 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 I'm going crazy over this thing. You know, and yet, you know, when I look at Scripture, you know, I, I think it's God's timing, you know, on this issue of purity, because the truth is, is yeah, there's all these things, there's all these missions, you know, all these places that we've seen on this earth that we want to do something. But the truth is, is if we as a congregation don't purify ourselves, we're not going to be able to do anything for the Lord. Okay? I mean, you can just forget about our mission. If we're over here wallowing in our sin, you know, getting trapped in all this junk, then we're really useless to the kingdom of God. I absolutely believe we're on a mission this year as a church. You know, that's why we're redoing this membership thing. You know, who's with me? Who's with us as an elder board? You know, with us elders standing here, who's with us to carry out this mission? But it starts with purity. Because, you know, like, like Hebrews 12 explains, we've got a race to run, right? But what does he say before you run that race with endurance? He says, first, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and then run the race with perseverance. It was this idea of this runner about to do a sprint or a marathon, whatever. He wouldn't keep his toga on and all these loose you know, articles of clothing. He would shed all of that. He goes, and then run. Because those were the things that would entangle you. And in the same way, he says, you, you've got a mission. You've got a race to run on this earth. You're not here just to take up space. Okay, there's something for you to do, a race for you to run. But before you run this race, get rid of the things that are going to trip you up. And he says, it's the sin that so easily entangles us. You see, because it's the sin in, in your life, in my life, that is going to paralyze us from really accomplishing anything on this earth. Sin keeps us from accomplishing our purposes. A lot of times we think of sin and we think about the impurity in our lives and we think, oh, I better not do that, that'll harm me. It's, it's not just about you. It's about everyone around you. When you sin, it doesn't just affect you. 
Do you understand that? It, it, it keeps you from ministering to so many people. It keeps you from your mission. It harms those people in Africa when you sin. Okay, for example, pick Graham. Graham, because you're here. Um, if Graham sinned this week, let's say he cheated on Manuela, who would that affect? Just Graham? No? And I'm picking you because I know you and I'm assuming that hasn't happened. And if it did, and I happen to point you out, if you weren't convicted before, okay. But uh, let's say, let's say Graham cheats on his wife this week. Who does that affect? Not just Graham, it affects God. God hates that. You offended him. It affects you. It affects Manuela. It affects all your children. It affects whoever the other girl, her family, and everything there. It, it affects people at, at your work. They all know what you believe. You've been vocal about it. And now suddenly they go, oh, there's the Christian guy. You know, and now we know about life. It, it affects all of your neighbors, all of them. What are they going to think about it? It affects me. It affects this church. It affects the kids that you teach in Sunday school. You know, and, and not only that, not only does it affect all of these people, but, but it, it kills the church in its future because, you know what, now that, that your sin's exposed and suddenly you're going to be dealing with all of that and, and you're, you're going to be, you know, just messing with all it's going to keep you distracted from doing all the things we, we, we need you to do. As, as a church, we count on you to teach the kids, to disciple other guys. There's, there's this ministry. We, we, we depend on you guys as a family to keep your family strong, you know, and, and to, to, even, even in the income. They just say, you know what? Let's, let's give to these people. Then it's like, okay, well, then you guys get in a fight, you divorce, whatever else, then you spend all your money on your divorce, then you, you're both just barely making it, and it's like, now you're of no use to these people overseas and all these people around the world. See, it's not just about you and your sin. You've got to understand... It just, it scatters. It, it makes you totally ineffective. It paralyzes you. And then it's like, okay, now what use are you going to be for the next year? Nothing. You can't do anything. You see, it's that sin that once you get entangled with it, it makes you just ineffective, worthless for the kingdom of God. At least for that period of time till you build things up and get it back together. And that's why he says, you know what? Get rid of that sin first. You know, one of the universities I speak at is the Zusa Pacific every year. A great time there. But I remember one year, their, their, uh, their campus pastor, before, right before I preached, Chris Brown, dear friend of mine, came up to me right before I spoke and he just pulls me aside. And I didn't know him that well at that time. And he just sticks his finger in my chest. And he goes, I want you to know something, Francis. He goes, just over the last couple of years, just by speaking, you've ministered to our people. There are about 5,000 university students here that just look up to you. If you blow it, I just want you to know you're going to affect, at least just, just from my own school, 5,000 people whose faith will be severely rocked because of your failure. Don't screw up. <laughs> you know, and it, 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 I loved it, man. I was good, you know, because again, it, it just... He's just reminding me, he goes, friends, it's not just about you. It's not just about you. Don't screw this up for us. You know, and that's the thing, is it's about this sin. It's not just about you. Yes, I want us to be pure. I want us to be right before God, but I'm just saying, do you know how many people it affects? It's not just those people immediately, but the people you would have had ministry to. We could have done great things as a church. 
man, and some of you guys are going to fall off this year, you know, go your own way and whatever. And it, and it kills me that you've gone away from God, but it also kills me that you, you've hurt so many people in the future that could have been ministered to by you. You know, and that's what we live for. You know, to love our neighbor and to serve them and do things. I mean, I mean going back to the core of what we were saying about all of this, because I don't want to complicate anything, it's what is this all about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. And what I'm saying is purity is not another thing in, you know, uh, in our you know, uh, agreement as, as membership, as members. I'm saying you can't love God when you're in your sin. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself when you're in your sin. It's, it's, that's, that's our whole mission on this earth. And sometimes we, we feel like we can and biblically, there's just absolutely no way. I mean, how can you love God? Do, do you realize that God hates sin? Hates it. Did you guys already know that? That God hates it. He can't stand it. I, I think of passages like, like uh, Proverbs 6, and I, there, there's so many of them, but, but where, where God just says, I mean, how many passages are there in Scripture where God tells us how much He hates evil? That's what this book is about. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. He says, let me just name some things that God hates. Things are just absolutely detestable in his sight. He says, you know, God hates it when you lie. See, we, we lie and go, ooh, I feel bad, I told a lie. But what about how God feels about that? He looks down and goes, man, I hate that. That's detestable to me. Ooh, I accidentally gossiped about someone. Ooh, I feel bad. Well, God's going, you know what, I hate it when you, you, you cause any type of division within the body. Because that's one of the things that's detestable to me. That you would speak negatively about another brother or sister? I can't stay. You know, what about God is what I'm saying. A lot of times when we look at our sin, we look at ourselves and we feel bad because we didn't meet the standard of the the people that we wanted to be. And and sin primarily is an offense to God. One of the first verses I memorized as, as a high schooler, as a Christian, John 14, verse 15, when Jesus says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll hug me. If you love me, you'll tell me. No, he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you won't keep doing the things that I hate. It's that simple. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Let's say it together. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. That's it. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't, don't show your love in all these other ways. Just obey me. Obey me. That, that shows me that you love me. And I, I just think that sometimes we, we don't think about the offense to God and our love relationship with Him. Loving Him means you don't do the things He hates. It's not just about you. Um, Adam, will you come up? Come up here. Come on up here. I'm going to use you as an illustration. Now, if... Uh, Actually, face this way. Let's say I say to Adam, I go, Adam, I love you. And then, and I say, 
oh man, I didn't mean to do that, I'm sorry, oh, but it felt good, I can't, and then to go, you know, I can't control myself, you know, this is great, you know, and just to go, you know, I can't help it, there's a genetic disposition, you know, and, uh, and just to go, you know, oh man, this is, this is awful, but you know, it hurts me more than it hurts you, and then to go, look, I know that we already have relationship, no, just to say, we have a relationship, and I know you'll forgive me. I, I know you're going to forgive me for doing this. And then, okay, you can just sit down. Thanks. Okay, and then, thank you. Wow, you guys clap for that? That's really weird. But then, to walk away from that and go, oh, man, my hand hurts. I feel terrible. Gosh, the consequences of slapping so much is, is that my hand hurts now. And then I feel bad about myself. Ah, I shouldn't have slapped him. And, and just kind of leave it at that. And it's like, what about him? What about the consequences on him? And I, and I feel like a lot of times when we think about our sin against God, it, it, it's like, oh, I know you hate this. Ah, oh, you hate this. You hate this. I'm sorry. I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. And then you walk away and go, oh, I feel kind of bad about myself. It's like, what about, your, what about yourself? What about God? What about the fact that you just, you just offended him? You're doing things that he absolutely hates and sin. You know, when, when David sinned and even committed that sin against Bathsheba and then commits murder, he says that God gone against you and you alone have I sinned. You know, it's you that I hurt. And, and, and for us to say, oh, I love God, but I'm just going to keep on slapping him in the face and that somehow makes sense to us because I still have feelings for you, Adam. That's not love. That, and he agreed to that before service, so don't worry. You guys are like, wow, I'm never going to volunteer. You know, uh, but, but the whole idea is, you know, the, the, in fact, between services, he goes, you can slap me harder. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Wait till next service, come on back, you know. Um, but, but the whole idea is, I mean, honestly, that, that's the relationship we have with God, many of us. We're doing these things that he says, I can't stand that. And you just keep doing it to me and then telling me you love me afterwards? You keep doing it to me and then, then you, you just you, you look at your hand and go, ooh, you know, the consequences of my sin, the consequences are up here with me. That breaks my heart that my son died for you. He died. He was punished for all those sins. And then you just accept that and go right back to it? You know, and you just slap me in the face and tell me you love me. Just, just forget that. Read my word. It says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Because this is not part of loving God. This is at the core of it. This is the most important command in our lives. And if you think you can love God and keep your sin, you are so off. So off. God hates it. He tells each of us that He's given us the power to overcome it by the power of His Spirit. So there's no excuses. You can't sit here and go, oh, I can't control myself. I can't control... He says, no, I gave you the power. You've got the power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And you're telling me you can't overcome it? You're a liar. It's your, your own choice. You've chosen to sin against me. You choose to slap me in the face. Don't tell me you can't control it. Because I promised that I would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And every time you sin, you've chosen to sin. Because I always give you a way of escape, he says. But you chose to sin. Because what, what's, what's the opposite of sinning? 
What's the opposite of indulging in your sin? Let me say it that way. Anyone? Denying your sin, not sinning, resisting your sin, good. Service? Wow, who said service? Were you at last service? Oh. That's why. Gosh, I was like, there's no way you could know that. Okay. <laughs> That's not fair. I'm going to slap you. Come on. <laughs> okay. Turn in your Bibles. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 13. It's pretty interesting, okay, because you would just think, okay, the opposite of sinning is not sinning, right? The opposite of indulging in your sin is resisting your sin. And yet, biblically, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And this is a very important point. It really is. It is very foundational to understanding this. Because it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Okay, and what he means by that, by we're called to be free, is that I don't live each day thinking, I've got to obey this command, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, so I can go to heaven. Okay, and if I blow that one, I'm not going to go. Or this. He says, no, you're called to be free. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Okay, he's already paid for it. You don't go through life wondering if you're good enough. I'm free from that. I'm free from these regulations that he describes earlier in the Old Testament laws. They were, you know, some of them were still practicing certain laws thinking they needed that. He says, no, you're free. But he says, with that freedom, he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Okay, he says, in your freedom, don't use your freedom to go and just indulge in sin. He goes, rather, he doesn't say resist sin, he says, serve one another in love. To love others, to serve others. You see, the opposite of sinning, which he says destroys someone, is loving, which builds others up. The opposite of sin is, is, is love. That's why he says, you know what, you could sum up the whole law with that one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he say that? Because he's saying, if you love your neighbor... If, if you would focus, see, you can't love and sin at the same time. Did you know that? I can't love someone and sin against them simultaneously. The only way I can sin against them is if I, if I stop loving them for a moment. I lay aside my love momentarily and then sin against them. But I can't do both at the same time. So the Bible's saying if you just love your neighbor, you don't have to worry about the rest of the laws. That'll take care of all the rest of the laws. Because if I'm focused on loving someone, I'm not going to commit adultery with them. If I love them, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to lie from them. I'm not going to take from them. I'm not going to covet what's theirs. I'll be glad that they have it. If I love them, the only way I can sin against this person is if I lay aside their love for a second and go, okay, now I'm going to hate you. Now I'm going to take from you. Now I'm going to harm you. But you can't do both at the same time. So the Bible says, well, you know what? Rather than sinning, why don't you love? And if you would get that down, if you just love your neighbor as yourself, 
then forget about the other laws. They'll take care of themselves. It, it's simple. Just focusing on, just focus on loving other people. It's, it's the best defense against sin. See, a lot of times when we talk about sin, this is an important issue. We talk about resisting. We talk about self-control. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And it's all this resisting when the Bible says, you know what, don't worry about that. Just love. If you just love, the other stuff would go away. If you just loved God, you can't love God and sin at the same time. If you focus on loving Him, you're going to be fine. You focus on loving other people, you're not going to sin against them. Have you ever tried running while eating a box of Twinkies? No? Okay, it just, uh, I don't think so. Okay, it's the whole idea of, it's hard. You know, how can you enjoy a box of Twinkies? You've got to stop running, right? Go take a shower and lay out on the couch and then start pounding them down, you know? But, but the whole idea is, as long as you're running, you're safe from those Twinkies. Because that doesn't even seem appealing at the time. You're focused on getting in shape. You're focused on running everything else. You're panting. You're doing it all. It's, it's the same idea. It, it's like, you know what? Don't worry about not eating those things. Just run. In the same way, you know, if you're just focused on loving people, you're not going to be able to sin against them. It's the moment that you stop loving and you forget that that's the mission that you have on this earth and you just kind of kick back and feed yourself, then yeah, you're going to sin. But as long as you stay on that path of loving, you're fine. You see, he makes it even more clear in the next verse, verse 16. He says, so so that's why I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Because if you live by the Spirit, you won't. You're not going to sin. See, if I can just keep myself focused on what the Spirit of God wants me to do, for me to stop right now and say, Holy Spirit, God, what do you want me to do at this moment? What do you want me to do right now? What is your mission for me right now, this very second? What message do you want me to communicate? As long as I'm focused on the Spirit, I'm not going to be sinning. I have to take my mind off of what the Spirit desires, what God desires, and just think about me for a while. And then, yeah, all the sin's going to come. And then everything's going to come to me, and I'm just going to make a mess of myself. But, but, you know, as Christians, a lot of times we just talk about resisting and what we shouldn't do. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And what the New Testament is teaching us is do this, and you won't do the other things. You don't have to focus on them so much. If you love God, you're not going to sin. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to sin against them. If you're, you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, you're not going to be setting your mind on what your flesh desires. You can only do one at a time. Understand that? Either run or eat your Twinkies. But you're not going to do both. So, so if you, as long as you run, you keep going this direction, you're okay. And, and that's, I really believe, this is the big problem with people and why they don't put to death their sins. And you've seen it before. It's, it's you get to a certain point where you resist, resist, resist. But unless you're running towards something, unless you've got a goal, a purpose of being alive other than just not sinning, you're never going to make it. You get exhausted. You've got to fill yourself with something else. I'm not saying just resist, resist. I'm saying pursue something. That's what the Bible teaches. Pursue righteousness. Pursue your God-given race. Run. Go the direction God wants you to do. If you have no purpose in life other than just to survive and try not to sin, you're going to fail miserably. 
But if you've got this goal and this vision and this finish line, and you've got this focus of, I want to live by the Spirit, I want to love people, I want to love God, then you're going to, you're going to figure it out. And all the other stuff's going to go away and you'll put it to death because you can't do both. Okay. When, when, when my, um, it's like this, when my family goes to the mall, basically my wife shops and me and the kids play tag. You know, and we, you know, we just find different ways to occupy ourselves, hide and seek. We may find another dad and his kids and team up. And, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of our routine at the mall. And now, now my, my daughters, they love to play tag. They love to play tag. But, but here's what, what happens every time, you know, that they'll start playing tag and, uh, you know, like Mercy will be at the little one and, you know, and Rachel will be running around. Pretty soon she'll get tired and she'll just go, okay, dad's safe. Right? Do you kids ever do that? Okay, Dad's the safe spot, you know. So, so then she'll run and touch me and hold my hand, and go, "Ha, you can't tag me." And then we just kind of walk around, and she's safe. And she figured out, you know, if I just play tag with no safe, I'm just going to be exhausted and just be miserable. You know, we're just running around forever. But once I can get to safety and hold his hand, then you know, it's nice. I got a goal. I'm, I'm running toward something rather than just constantly running away from my little sister. Now, I, I really believe that a lot of people in the Christian life are absolutely exhausted because they spend their whole lives running away from something and never running toward anything. And you're just constantly running away from your sin. Oh, I don't want to do that. 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 Oh, no. Now, another temptation. You're just running, 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 running away from temptation when I'm saying, no, run to safety. Okay? You know, loving your neighbor, that's safe. Loving God, that's safe. Following the Spirit, that's safe. And as long as you stay there, you're safe and you're not running away from anything anymore. But so many people, man, they never think about their mission in life and what we're after. And if we did that, then the sin would go away. I mean, many people who are able to resist their sin for a while, but then they fall right back into it. And I know the reason. It's because they're not pursuing anything. And how many times I've, I've told some of you, you know, even in your marriages, they get all screwed up because, why? You guys don't have a goal together. You're not out loving other people together. You're not, you're saying, okay, what does the Holy Spirit want our family to do right now? You're just saying, oh, let's just not fight. Let's just not do this. Let's not be selfish. Let's not, 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 not. That's not what the Scriptures are about. It's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Keeping in step with what the Spirit wants of your life. Why do you exist? See, we've got a mission here as a church this year. There, there are a lot of people that we just want to minister to, to save here and overseas. We've got some things to do, but it starts here. It starts with us saying, okay, so let's just throw away all this other junk and commit to loving this year. Loving God, loving others. You know, we... Um, one, one, one last thing that happened at the pastor's conference was uh, Doug Fox came with me and he, he preached to the pastors, did a great job, and he talked about purity and he talked about uh, what happens when a godly man falls and went through the life of David with these pastors. And then afterwards, Pastor Peter there, and he kind of, kind of got up and told these pastors, listen, I know some of you guys have screwed up. I know some of you guys have gone the wrong direction. And if you want some prayer because you're feeling weak right now or you're starting to get tempted... I want you to come forward and, you know, and, and, and Francis and his team, you know, from America, they'll be up here just to pray for you. And these pastors just started coming forward, not for counsel, but for power. They just wanted to be prayed for. 
And some of them started confessing their sins to us and just were just absolutely broken. They started talking about affairs they were having. Started talking about pornography. And, you know, and I'm listening and, you know, and praying for them. And it, it really didn't even hit me until like the fifth or sixth guy I started realizing, oh, wait, these are pastors. You know, and, and then you started, part of you is excited because, wow, that was really humble of them to confess their sin. Another part of you is, is sad because you're going, wow, that's the leader of the church. And, and just in, in prayer for them, there was a wonderful time, though, ultimately, of just repentance and realizing, okay, I really can't serve you, God. I really can't love you with this junk in my life. And uh, we just had a time where we prayed for them and gave them strength. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that for today, and I thought, you know, it would be good for us as we as a church get started on our mission. Some of you in this room, there's really not a whole lot you can do for us or for the world or for others. But if you've got so many issues of your own right now, and you need to learn to just cast that off so that you can run and so you can start loving and maybe some of you just need some prayer this morning because maybe you're being tempted right now and you just want someone to pray for you. Uh, maybe there's some things you have to confess. Maybe some issues that you need to confess before God and say, God, that was a slap in your face and I'm sorry for that. And maybe you just want to confess to, to one of the leaders in the church and say, man, hold me accountable on this. Pray for me on this issue. I'm going to have the elders of the church just come forward right now and they're just going to be standing up here in the front you know, while the worship team comes up and... And just at any time during the worship time, if, uh, if you, just, you just feel like you're weak in a certain area and you, you know, you're just being tempted in a certain area and you just want someone to pray for you because you believe in the power of prayer, uh, then you know the elders can be up here to pray for you. Um, not really a counseling time or anything, but just believing that by someone praying for you, it's going to give you the strength to overcome these sins. Um, if you need some counseling or maybe you go, gosh, you know, I've never even given my life to the Lord. I've never been free, you know, of my sin and I'd like to do that and get baptized. Um, over in the prayer room, there will be people that counsel you, uh, talk to you, answer any questions you have. But, but right now, why don't you just bow your heads first and, and just personally, before you confess to anyone else or be prayed for by anyone else, would you just confess your sins to God?